One of the most useful podcast ever's most listened to podcasts ever was our first episode on sleep, which we released all the way back in September of 2015. We don't repeat a lot of topics here, but people liked our sleep episode so much, we decided we'd do it again by going even deeper into topics like the genetics of sleep, noise machines, and how to fix your body after sleeping in a weird position, which we have all definitely done. For me, I tend to sleep on my arm until my arm falls asleep, which feels very Inception. So anyway, we started working on our sleep episode, sending noise machines off to Peter Martin's dad to test and interviewing Alina Patkey at the Rockefeller University, who is an expert on genes that influence sleep schedules. And all of a sudden, we got a call from some folks who are promoting a new movie that will do the exact opposite of put you to sleep. They wanted to know if we wanted to talk to the movie's director, Lee Winnell, who was one of the co-creators of the Saw franchise, and its lead actor, Logan Marshall Green. Well, we went out and saw the movie, which is called Upgrade, and will be released a week from today on June 1st. And we really liked it. It's about a guy who becomes paralyzed after being attacked by a gang and gets offered a surgical procedure that will heal him, a computer chip named STEM. The thing is, STEM talks and can make the protagonist's body do some crazy ninja-like stuff. As you might expect from a guy who co-created a movie like Saw, pretty gruesome shenanigans ensue. So we debated whether to put an interview that is decidedly not sleep-inducing on our sleep episode. And then we thought, you know what, let's just do it. Let's see if we can get people excited about the movie Upgrade and then calm them down enough to get them a good night's sleep. Stay tuned at the end of the episode for an extra special segment that should do just that. For now, I'm your host, Jacqueline Detweiler, and you're listening to the most useful podcast ever. We have some extra special guests on our podcast today. We have Lee Winnell, who is the writer and director of the new Upgrade movie that is coming out on June 1st. And we also have Logan Marshall Green, who plays Gray Trace, the lead in that movie. I actually got a chance to see it this week, and it was great. I really loved it. And there's this one theater where they show them all, and I accidentally walked in the wrong door. And the guy who worked the door, the place next door, said to me, he was like, are you seeing the scary movie? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, oh, my God, you have to tell me how it is. I'm so excited. Like, I can't wait. (laughs) Me and my daughter, like, he and his 13-year-old daughter are so excited to see this movie. I'm scared of scary things, and I haven't seen the movie yet. How freaked out should I be? It's not a straight-up horror movie. So if being scared is what freaks you out, you're going to be okay with this one. Some of the other films I've been involved with, not so much. (laughs) Saw and Insidious might be too much. But this is more of a sci-fi made in the spirit of those kind of visceral, violent 80s sci-fi movies like the original Terminator and the original Robocop, Scanners, films like this, that kind of Paul Verhoeven, David Cronenberg thing. That was definitely something that I was alluding to and working towards with this movie. But I think you'll be okay. (laughs) Good. It's funny that you say that because I didn't read the press notes before I got there. They like give them to you and you walk in the door and they turn it on and you're like, okay, and then you wait. (laughs) And I was like, this really reminds me, I thought of Total Recall and Terminator. And then afterward, I read the press notes and I was like, oh, that's on purpose. Like, that's awesome. That's so interesting that you got that without reading it in the press notes. That's definitely kind of heartening to know that. That's good to hear that. So I want to talk about your performance a little bit because I know there was a whole element of, I mean, this is very, very physical. And I mean, a lot of it is not special effects. So you're doing a lot of really physical, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but there's a computer that is operating your body at certain points and you have to act like you're being run by a computer but you're also like resisting it in some cases. I mean, how do you train for something like that? Like, what did you do? 
Well, we trained for about a month before the shoot, and throughout the physical training, I kind of, throughout the day, would work the body, neutralizing it first with a movement coach, so it's kind of ready and efficient, as a computer would be. And then with this incredible stunt team and choreographers, we worked these fights. But the whole time, I tried to keep my face and anything I would attach emotionally. I didn't want to gain muscle memory up there, so I'd go home, and Lee and I would work kind of the emotional journey this guy and i'd start to find that and the show and tell was the day i don't think lee and i really knew what we were going to get in a way when we threw the pasta against the wall i think the most interesting element was the comedy that naturally came out of it and not in any kind of two-dimensional way yeah i remember saying while we were shooting it i think this movie's funnier than we think it is <laughs> yeah. yeah it was actually yeah but that was something that was discovered it wasn't necessarily intended and during the screenwriting it was more during the shooting that i was like oh hang on this has got a little bit of comedy in there we were such a low budget movie we didn't have months and months to test things out yeah. and look at the techniques like big budget movies do we just went for it on the day and then you cut it all together and you're like oh, i hope it works I was just writing a story about biohacking and trying all the like keto diets and the crazy drugs and the nootropics and all that stuff. How inspired were you by things like that that are going on and like transhumanist stuff and people putting magnets in their fingers? Really inspired. Yeah. <laughs> the first thing that I thought of with this film was just the image of a quadriplegic person being controlled from the neck down by a computer. So that image just popped into my head one day, which usually that's how ideas happen for me. It would be some random moment eating breakfast, in the shower, whatever, and something just pops into my brain. And the good ones are the ones you can't stop thinking about. If you're laying awake at night thinking about it, it's a good sign. And this was one of those, and I couldn't stop, and I started building a story around this image of this guy. And then I started doing the research. I was like reverse engineering the research into this story idea. And I read that Ray Kurzweil book, The Singularity is Near. It's about that moment, that singularity where tech and humans will merge. And that I found fascinating. Like it spoke directly to what I was trying to do because I didn't want to do a robot movie. What was interesting to me wasn't robots. It was people with tech. And there's the good side of that, like medical, like Ray Kurzweil talks about nanobots in our bloodstream regulating blood pressure or eating cancer cells. And I think tech in our bodies is going to be a really good thing, but it's fascinating to think about that stuff. It was definitely in my mind during the whole process. Right. A lot of this has to be on a green screen, right? These amazing houses and everything. I mean, how much of that set was what you actually got to interact with? All of it. Really? You built it? I don't think we no had green screens. any really? green screens. Wow. He never did a scene talking to a tennis ball on a C-stand. <laughs> I mean, we put stem in my ear. We had an earwig, which we built into the realized concept of what a phone is in the future, which I love Lee's version, which is just an earpiece now. And so you would continue to walk on sets and they'd be built. And there'd be incredible prosthetics. And that's why I suddenly walked up to him and was like, wait a minute, this is feeling very verhoeven -y. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted this to do everything real. practically. Yeah. You know? Of course, yeah. we did use CG at times, but we tried to do it only when absolutely necessary. Can you guess when that guy's head split in half? That was CG? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> that was a real guy? It was all practical. <laughs> okay, well, we, that was a real guy. <laughs> we would do the old fashioned style of like an edit, yeah. alas, and then the cool. scanner style. I just insisted on practical. The CGI is a great tool to have. Like, we were working with wires a lot. The fight scenes when Logan is flipping up off the ground, obviously you have to do that with wire rigs right. and wires. So 
I think it's amazing that they can just take out a little CG paintbrush and get rid of the wires. That's when CG is beautiful, when it helps the movie even more. But everything else was practical. So, of course, I have to ask, the death scenes. How do you come up with those? And and do I want to know? I don't know. I mean, whenever I'm writing a scene like that, I'm approaching it like, what haven't we seen before? What's going to be my little contribution to this action scene? Like, for instance, with fight scenes, I've never done a movie with fight scenes before, but I'm aware that there's a long tradition of them. Pretty much as soon as someone could roll a camera, they were punching a cowboy through the saloon window. You know, we've been doing it a long time. So I start thinking, what can I do that's new? And what you see in the movie is, I guess, the result of that. You should do a children's book next just to sort of cleanse your palate. (laughs) You know what? Be ready. I have a children's film that I wrote years ago, ready to go. Like, anyone listening with a few spare hundred million dollars i have a kid's film like a fantasy adventure yeah. you can market it to be like from the co-creator of saw yeah. <laughs> everyone's like great yeah yeah exactly you know. not, not really good in that way we were talking about the comedy that kind of happened and a lot of that is between you and stem which is the computer that is installed in your neck simon maiden were you hearing him live like were you actually doing that in yes. so he was like, like on a mic or how did you do that, that? Was, it was really important to me that their interactions happen in real time so i I asked that Simon could be on set at all times and we would just stuff him in a little corner. We would find a little broom closet for Simon and he would be in there with a microphone and Logan had an earpiece in and they would talk to each other. And so I could hear it on the monitor, but a lot of the crew weren't hearing. <laughs> so they were just watching Logan and talk Simon to And Simon and I would just talk to each other in between takes to it. So it looks really weird if you're a crew member. <laughs> I'm just saying. And he, Simon, of course, would keep kind of that element in the air so we talk a lot of trash (laughs) (laughs) and there was something about it there was like art imitating life life imitating art because it sometimes i would have like technological earpiece in i'd have a iphone strapped to my body i would already be kind of (laughs) in mode and i'm just covered in hidden tech Mm -hmm, in a way mm -hmm. yeah since i have not seen the movie could you tell me what's the iphone strapped to your body We basically did this effect where when STEM, the computer, takes over Logan, we wanted it to look strange and stilted like the way a computer would move, especially during the fight scenes. And so we had Logan training, as he was saying, and he was doing his part. But I felt there was one extra thing we needed to do, and we decided to use this technique where you take the iPhone, strap it to Logan under his clothes, and the camera locks to it. So wherever Logan moves, the camera moves with him exactly. And it gives it this really weird floaty feeling that you see in the movie. A lot of people think it's done in post, that it's some CG effect we did. It was all done in camera. Calibrating it was a form of the art, too. It wasn't just throw it on and do it. It was really nuancing it. You know, Lee and Steph, the DP, they already knew what they wanted. And so that was built into our choreography, too, knowing that a ripple gives you much more of an effect in that structure as opposed to anything robotic. Yeah, it's funny. I I did notice that and assumed that it had been done in post in some way. Is that like a technique that you got from somewhere else? Where do you learn things like that? The cinematographer, Stefan Ducio, he brought it up really late in the game in pre-production. I think we were a week away from shooting and I was having a panic attack thinking like, are we ready? And he came to me one day and he's like, I did this music video last year where we strapped an iPhone to the actor and he showed it to me on his phone. And I was like, that's it. It was this eureka moment. You really have to dive off and just try something. But I think that's the cool thing about this film is like you can find solace in that the lead of the film is having the same experience. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you're actually living really on top of the body with him. And, and I think that that's totally new and you can find real comfort in that your feelings and emotions are being mirrored by the guy 
who's doing the yeah, horrible everybody's thing. Everybody's a little uncomfortable. So we're yeah, usually yeah. that's true, actually. You really did it. Like, your face, that first death scene, you look so horrified. And I'm like, I'm equally horrified. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, usually when you're watching an action movie like this, whether it's like John Wick or Jason Bourne, usually you're watching someone who's like a master of their craft, crushing all these bad guys and beating them up. In this movie, Logan's like, shit. <laughs> Sorry, that's, that's my contribution to the swear jar. Everyone gets their own, yeah. Well, thank you guys so yeah, much is... for coming. This has been a really fun interview. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. So for our special sleep episode, which I think a lot of people are excited about because sleep is a very important topic these days. No one gets any. We invited Dr. Alina Patke, who is a research associate at Rockefeller University here in New York, to come by the office. Welcome. Nice to be here. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for coming. So you work on the genetics of sleep. Is that correct? That's right. So Mm -hmm. what does that mean? (laughs) What does that mean? Well, for some people who have really abnormal sleep patterns, it can really not be up to them. It can be something in their genetic makeup that predisposes them to that behavior. Okay. How many different types of genetic things can go wrong to cause sleep issues? That's endless. Really? Well, that's encouraging. (laughs) Essentially, every single base pair that makes up our DNA can be changed. And, you know, everybody has variations somewhere. So there's really no limit to that. We recently found one specific variant that causes delayed sleep behavior. So like insomnia, sort of. That's part of it. We call it phenotype. So like the behavior of somebody with delayed sleep phase disorder is that they have sleep onset insomnia. So they find it very hard to go to sleep at a time that's like socially acceptable (laughs) (laughs) i like to put it that way because i like to go to bed late and i like to think that it's society's problem not mine (laughs) yeah so you know a lot of people have a preference for being either like an early or late type right so there are these colloquial terms of larks and night owls so most people would probably fall like somewhere on that range and i would say that late sleep behavior is probably the more common So it's really only classified as a disorder if a person would really like to change it and be active at a more reasonable time, but they they just (laughs) just can't. (laughs) That really can affect people and cause a lot of problems in everyday life. Some people, they end up choosing something that's compatible with the lifestyle. But, you know, not everybody has that luxury. So. Like a lot of comics and bartenders. Or <laughs> <laughs> When you talk about this spectrum from larks to owls, so, I mean, we always talk about like nine to five or something. I would imagine that's actually relative to sunrise. Well, natural light is actually a really important stimulus to reset our internal rhythm because a lot of people these days in Western society really aren't exposed that much to it. It's probably one of the reasons that the late sleep behavior is becoming much more common because we have electric light at night. So in more rural societies where there's more of an incentive to kind of be in sync with the environment, the light actually might make that easier. But because people like in, you know, today's lifestyle kind of not consciously, but we kind of evade like these natural signals that are there, you know, they don't register as much. One of the recommendations we can give if people ask us what they can do to change their sleep patterns. So controlling your light exposure is actually one of the most effective things you can do it doesn't work perfectly but it's at this point one of the best advice we can give and so for somebody who has a problem not going to sleep in the evening and getting up in the morning they would be advised to avoid bright light at night 
So not hang out in front of the computer or your phone screen till one in the morning or something. And then in the morning, actually seek the bright light. So even though you might not feel like it, get out and expose yourself to the natural light. That helps reset the clock. I've heard that for jet lag too. Does that also work for jet lag? Yeah, it's the same principle. Okay. Yeah. Which is stronger, your genes or light? I mean, if you have like night owl genes, but you're in a rural society where it gets dark early and there's no electric light, like, will you switch? Well, it's both is the short answer. (laughs) (laughs) There's both an environmental component and a genetic component. And the light will help someone even who has a genetic predisposition unless it's a genetic predisposition that actually affects the signaling from the light, then that's another problem. But usually, if the clock works normally, the light will help, but there are limits. So it's kind of a constant struggle for somebody who has the genetic predisposition. It's not going to go away. What kinds of disorders do you see? Do you see mostly things that are a little bit more mild, like what you're talking about now? Or do you see people who like haven't slept for weeks and weeks, you know, these terrible kinds of things? That's a spectrum. People with delayed sleep, they do sleep. You know, nobody can not sleep. You won't survive that for very long if you don't sleep at all. But, you know, they probably don't get enough sleep. So for some people, it's more of a nuisance. And that's probably the majority. But there really are some who that's really a burden in their life. You know, after we published this one finding, we got a lot of feedback just from regular people who actually wrote to us and said that I'm actually so glad that you're working on this because it goes to show that it's not just me trying to be difficult or something. It's really not anything I could change. (laughs) It's not my fault, kind of. And so even just knowing that is comforting to some people. We have gotten a lot of requests from people. They just want to know if they have this one variant that we described. And unfortunately, there are laws that forbid us from doing that. So we could not test anybody and then tell them, you know, what we found. (laughs) Because there are very strict laws for doing medical testing. So, I mean, what we can offer is we do continue to study this. So, you know, we can offer participation in research studies. And anybody who's interested in that, we are happy if people reach out to us. With the caveat that we cannot tell them personally about their specific results. Only in general what we find, but not you have this. (laughs) That we we can't do that. So what do you think for somebody who's struggling, you know, they've got sleep onset insomnia, they're struggling to get to bed. What do you think is the most important thing to do? Is it sleeping at the same time every night? Is it getting window shades? Is it staying away from the phone? You just mentioned a couple of them, the light exposure, and especially, you know, these days with all the electronic gadgets, anything with a screen, basically, at night is bad. (laughs) So you want to minimize that as much as possible. And then in the morning, actually, the opposite. So seek out the light keeping a consistent schedule that also helps our lifestyle contributes to a lot of the problems we have with that well thank you so much for joining us and talking to us about all of this if anyone wants to get in touch with you and participating in any of your studies is there a website or anything that they should check out well there's a general website for the research institution or if they just want to google my name they'll find me too they do not need to be in new york city they can be anywhere in the world they can do it from home oh great well thank you so much It's time for your favorite segment, Nap Facts. Nap Facts. Facts about naps. This is a good theme. I kind of need yeah. a nap. 
Are you guys nappers? It's like it's 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I know. But I have no excuse. <laughs> I'm not really a napper. When I was a kid, my mom would not let me and my brother nap because she's like, you'll never go to sleep tonight mm-hmm. if you do. So for the first several years, even after college, I would never nap. And then I had like a period where I napped all the time, but it got to where like I couldn't make it through the day without taking a nap. So I was like, I got to stop this. Now I almost never nap again. You're a never napper? In rare occasions, I would, but for the most part, no. I used to nap. I went through a nap phase in college because I feel like that's when everyone's lazy and also you stay up too late. Now, like, I feel like I can't nap. I try and I, like, lay in the patch of sunlight on my bed where it's warm like a cat. Mm-hmm. That's the best. It is that's the best. That's the best it nap location. the best though. nap location. Cats know. I'm telling you. And then I try to fall asleep and it doesn't usually work unless I'm, like, super exhausted or jet lagged. Yeah. What about you? Are you never? I Same thing. Used to be in college. I would, like, stay up really late working on the newspaper and then, like, go to my class, pound, like, three cups of coffee and then go take a caffeine nap. Oh, that's a thing, right? It's, and it's the worst because you wake up and, like, my heart would be beating, like, so fast. <laughs> and like, this is not healthy. Like, this is going to catch up Just, to like, me. bolt away. Like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Pretty much. But no, I, I don't really nap anymore. But when I do nap, I always feel worse after I wake up. Like, I just feel, like, super groggy. So maybe this is one of your facts. Maybe not. But I think that, like, if you nap too long, you're done for. For me, at least, the nap has to be, like, the perfect length of time or else. I've heard that before. Is this part of your nap facts? You know who agrees with you? (laughs) The Mayo Clinic. Hey! Hey. (laughs) They say that you should keep naps from 10 to 30 minutes. Because the longer you nap, the more likely you are to feel groggy. And that grogginess is an actual thing. It's called sleep inertia. Oh, yeah. That's a very fancy name for just like lazy and tired. Right. Or like (laughs) when you start sleeping, you want to keep sleeping. Right. Basically is what that means. But basically our prefrontal cortex doesn't wake up as fast as the rest of us. So it can take like 30 minutes for it to get going. And there's speculation that this has something to do with melatonin. It's the hormone that's responsible for regulating sleep. And if you wake up naturally, like, you know, you wake up with the sun or like without an alarm, then the melatonin production has stopped before you wake up. But if you're being jolted out of sleep, it takes a while for that to wear off. And that's why you feel gross Ah, and weird. That's interesting. I have actually had that experience taking, (laughs) we'll talk about this for our biohacking episode in the future. (laughs) taking sleep supplements where mm-hmm. they had a high amount of melatonin yeah. in them. And I woke up and I was like literally laying on my kitchen table just with like my face on the table trying to like get up and eat breakfast. And I'm I was sorry, like, I can't. Were you entirely on the table? No, just or like, just like, your, like okay. uh, my chest. You know what I mean? Like I, I like shuffled out into the dining room and mm. then like kind of put my face on the table and then I was like, I can't do it. I can't. Also, like, I have this thing where if I wake up too fast, I don't know what day it is. Mm. Does that happen to y'all? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're agreeing with her? It's yeah. only like one or two minutes, but you're just like, wait, what is going yeah, on? Yeah, it's like a I high mean, state of dissociation. Yeah. No, I mean, sometimes I wake up and I'm like, oh, I have to go to work. Oh, wait, today's Saturday. But I don't think it has anything to do with how fast I wake up. I've never noticed a pattern with my not knowing what day it is. Well, I'm like awake and I'm just like, what day is it? And I'm like, I don't know. And then I'm like, I'm so sad. Right. I'm like, well, I guess I'll just sit here until I figure it out. And then like a minute later, I'm just like, it's Tuesday and you have to do this today and blah, blah, blah. But like there's like a lag between Mm. waking up and when all of that information appears (laughs) available to me. Yeah. Those are my nap facts. Those are all your nap facts? Did you want more? Oh, no. I don't have more. No. Maybe you need to go take a nap. <laughs> Study up on some nap facts. Yeah. No, those were good. I like those nap facts. I'm yeah. glad to know the sleep inertia is a thing because mm-hmm. I've gotten in arguments with people who love sleeping and love napping for long durations or I'm like, it's a waste. You're doing it for too long. And they're yeah. like, you're crazy. You just hate sleep for some stupid reason. <laughs> no, it's sleep you inertia. Mean, it's a real friends. thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't sleep that much and I don't get that tired. So I think people think that I... Are you one of those people that you're like, like a sleep snob? like 
yeah, like four to six hours a night, and you like are I fine. sleep like five and a half to six and a half. But the thing is, like, eventually I'll get tired and I'll have like on the weekend I'll catch up. But I boot up immediately in the morning. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have this. Like I get up and I could do whatever, whatever I need to do during the day. I could do it the first minute I woke up. I don't have like this period where I'm useless. Yeah, mine's sh- <laughs> mine's short, but I also don't drink caffeine, and I think that people who do, you kind of get to the point where you need it to get mm-hmm. right. Is that yeah? As a caffeine drinker, as an addict, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, that's been Napfax. 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 So we have with us Dr. David Reavy, who is a physical therapist in Chicago and owner of React Physical Therapy, which is also in Chicago. Welcome to our podcast, Dr. Reavy. Thank you for having me. And so this is our sleep episode, which we've talked to a sleep geneticist and we've tested out a few different crazy sleep things. And I don't know if these are questions that you get normally, but I feel like I've had physical issues that have stemmed from the way I sleep. I sleep on my stomach, which everyone always says is a really bad idea. And I wondered if you had any opinion on, I mean, do you see people in your practice where the problem is the way that they're sleeping? Absolutely. I think the way you sleep definitely affects the way your joints can move or if they get stuck or locked, especially if you have a lot of tension throughout the day. For example, if you do sleep on your stomach, imagine that your head is turned, say, to the left for eight hours. Imagine walking around like that for eight hours. So, I mean, if you're going to sleep on your stomach, I mean, if that's comfortable for you, then I would suggest switching sides, whether you turn to the head to the right or turn to the left, because you're pushing your joints in that direction. And a lot of times, it's always a straw that breaks the camel's back. So it's like, I've been sleeping like this for years. I never had a problem, but all of a sudden, one day, that's why I see a lot of chronic tension headaches from that, sleeping on their stomach. Sometimes the joints get locked out of place, and it's something that a lot of people live with. Are there stretches or exercises you could do to combat something like that? Yeah, obviously, you want to go the opposite direction. So if you're sleeping always to the right, you want to make sure you do exercises to turn your head to the left. I like to do releases first. When I say releases, I mean you're pinning down the muscle and then moving that muscle. So you're contracting and shortening that muscle. You're lengthening and shortening that muscle. So how do you do that? Well, you can have a physical therapist do it or you can do it yourself. <laughs> I like to use a little cross ball because a little cross ball can get into different areas of your body and it's pretty small. So you can get into the neck muscles that way, the side of your neck. Most people know about their upper trap muscle being really tight, especially if your head is forward. And so you basically put the ball on the muscle and then you turn your head to the opposite direction. Ooh, okay. So you can do it with your hand too, but a lot of times people want to hike their shoulder blades. So a lot of times I see people with neck problems, their shoulder blades are by their ears. And so basically dropping those shoulder blades so those neck muscles can lengthen and can be relaxed. What about anything in terms of like lower back issues that people get from sleeping? Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of times people sleep on one side. And what happens is if you sleep on your right side, then a lot of times you put your left leg over that area. So you're basically twisting. Does that oh, make sense? Right. You're not in a fetal position. A lot of times people have the bottom leg straight and the left leg is twisted. And so if you only sleep on one side, then a lot of times your body becomes positioned that way. I'm a big believer that the position you put your body in dictates your posture and your posture dictates your function. So a lot of times I'll see people with pelvic malalignment because of the way they sleep. And a lot of times they wake up in pain but don't have pain throughout the day. And so we go over sleeping patterns that they can do. An easy fix for that is to put a pillow between your knees. So basically your body works better when it's in neutral. So if you're carrying a bag of groceries, you're not going to flex your elbow 90 degrees to carry the bag of groceries. You're going to keep your arm perfectly straight. So you get a proper co-contraction from your bicep and your tricep as well as your back muscles and your chest muscles. 
Right, instead of using like one group of muscles, you want to use all of them. Correct. You want to use everything efficiently. And so if you balance yourself out, you're bringing more muscles to the party. And then you're protecting your body that way. Both the problems you've talked about so far are from stomach and side sleeping. Are there things you see people doing wrong when it comes to sleeping on their back? Or is that like a pretty safe way to sleep? Yeah, if you're sleeping on your back, I don't use the pillow because obviously your head wants to be in neutral, right? So if you prop your head up, it's like you're basically putting your chin to your chest. So you're reinforcing what you're doing all day. For me, I sleep all different positions. It's, it's the thing that you do over and over and over again that's the same. And that's the problem. You can sleep on your stomach and then that's the only way you can sleep and switch your head position. But right. if you can sleep in other positions, that's the best. When people get tight and stressed, it affects the way they sleep. I'm a big believer in doing releases and stretches if you had a long day, and it'll help you sleep. A lot of my patients who have trouble sleeping because they're in pain, they had the best sleep they've ever had after we work with them because of the fact now they're relaxed. Yeah, a lot of people that. carry stress in their body, their muscles. It depends on like how well we hold our stress. Like Everybody holds their stress differently, and they don't realize that they're doing it because they've been doing it for so long. But once you can figure out for them to change that reflex pattern, it changes the way you move. And it's a reflex pattern. It's what we call muscle memory. So I know you got into physical therapy and all of this because you had some pretty serious physical issues. Is that right? Yeah, when I was 18 years old, I was hit by a car. See, I knew my body didn't work the same. It didn't look the same after a while. And I couldn't figure out what was wrong. And I would go to doctor after doctor, physical therapist after physical therapist. I wouldn't get any answers. I was 20 at the time. And so I couldn't kneel. I couldn't sit on the ground. I was just always uncomfortable or a lot of pain. Right. So I figured out that my muscles got so locked that I wasn't moving. And so I was on a quest to fix myself. And so with that came the ability to fix other people. And the answer usually is releasing that kind of locked situation? So you have to change the reflex pattern in the body. And so if you're in a motor vehicle accident, right, that's just one example of the body changing drastically so fast. If you're doing these patterns like sleeping in a bad position over and over time, that's gradual, right? You don't know you're doing it, but eventually it's going to haunt you. And so being these releases, and in the order that you do the releases, you're able to change the way you move. Your muscles are your first line of defense when it comes to movement. For our listeners who maybe they wake up in pain, what practical advice do you have? Should they get a lacrosse ball and try to release some muscles themselves? Should they go see a physical therapist, both? What would you recommend? I think everyone's tight in their hip flexors. I would recommend releasing your hip flexors right away. It'll be sit all day, right? Everything's in front of us. We're looking at computer screens. We're looking at iPhones. So it's the hip flexors is the first thing I feel like everyone that I see has a tight hip flexor. Is there a stretch that's easy to do that you'd recommend for that? Or an exercise or something for the hip flexors? Yeah, we have a YouTube channel that we have physical therapy YouTube. And there's a hip flexor release, the hip flexor stretch. And we call it a King Cobra stretch. And once you start movement in that joint, then your abs are going to work better too, as well as your glute. And you'll stand more erect and more upright. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. I think this is very useful for our listeners. Check out React Physical Therapy's YouTube channel. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. For this week's testing table, we tried to help out Peter Martin's dad. <laughs> As is standard. This is obviously the sleep testing table, our second one, because we did one last week in preparation for this episode. And this one was on sound machines. So why did you decide to go to your dad with this? I was going to review them because okay. I figured we live in a loud place. There's a bus route that goes by in front of us. But then my dad has been, and this is the family dynamic, gets a little tested here. 
My mom snores a lot. She's a very loud oh. snorer. I like how you said that quietly, like people aren't going to be able to Just hear turn it. turn it up. <laughs> <laughs> I asked her permission to reveal that she is a snorer. She was not excited about it, but she allowed it to happen. Okay. But I thought to protect my dad's relationship, we should not have him speak directly to the snoring. To the snoring. Or to how the sound... On the podcast. The white noise machine I can understand him. that. I can understand that. Marriage is... It's important to remain married. They've been going can. 45 years. We don't want to put an end to that. No, we don't. So I'm just going to relay my dad's opinions on this. I looked around for some of the best white noise machines out there. And some of these were for adults. Some of the ones I was looking at were for kids because I feel like mostly I associate them with babies, just always having sound really? machines. There's always white noise machines, at least in our friends' babies' rooms. I clearly don't have enough friends with babies. Gotta or I them. do, but they all move away from New York exactly. City. So then I don't know what they do to keep you their kids them very quickly. relaxed. Yeah. So I sent him two. I sent him one. It's called the Sound of Sleep Electro Fan. Okay. It's $50. It has 20 different sound settings, 10 are fan noises. I went through some of these and it's like, 10 different white noise sounds. They're pretty similar. Then there's like pink noise and blue noise and all these other colors Which of noise. Which I tried to learn about and it's so confusing. It is. There is some science behind it that I don't understand. Well, I think it's white noise is every single frequency. Is right. that right? And then you can take out various segments of frequencies and then you become other colors of noise. That sounds good. He's <laughs> like, that sounds scientific to me. So there's a Sound of Sleep Electro fan, which is 50 bucks. And it supposedly features pure white noise. This is according to the publicist. Others feature synthesized white noise. That helps you stay asleep. I guess if it's synthesized, there can be maybe when I, if it loops, like it it'll it loops. sort of cut back in. Uh-huh. And so this is pure. That won't happen. And then the other one that he has is the Sound Oasis Advanced Sleep Sound Therapy System. And how much is that one? That one's $80. Okay. So a little more expensive. And actually, in my dad's testing, that one turned out to be his favorite. The cost is worth it. He thought there was really good value in the extra $30, and he compared it to its two excellent machines. It's like if you have a Lexus or a Camry. depends on your use. He needs the Lexus because he sleeps next to a very loud snorer. Who's also a lovely woman and mother. <laughs> Does it get louder than the other one? Or Well, so the benefit of the Sound Oasis that he found was that it has a jack for earplugs. So you turn these things way up and then it disturbs other people in the house because you can hear it outside of their bedroom. Uh-huh. So if someone is in the kitchen, they could hear this loud, <laughs> crazy noise. Right. Feel free to use and that to so... fall asleep if you like. <laughs> So for him to get it to the volume level he needed to be able to fall asleep and stay asleep next to my mom, he had to put in headphones. So he just popped in some earbuds, went to sleep. He was a little concerned that at that sound level that he would cause some hearing damage, but we talked to them and it's about 85 decibels. So you have eight hours with 85 decibels before you start to cause damage. So if you sleep in really late, maybe don't. Then don't do that? don't okay. leave your earbuds in. Uh-huh. So for him, that ended up being the thing that worked the best. The other thing that he found, that one, it has a built-in clock in it too and mm-hmm. an alarm. And if you're listening to a very loud white noise machine, and you have an alarm clock, it's going to drown out that Good alarm clock. point. So my boyfriend sleeps with earbuds in. He like falls asleep to podcasts is yeah. kind of what he does. So if you're falling asleep to this podcast... <laughs> Hi, good night. Very good night to you. So he does that. And then his alarm is like a quiet like bird thing that goes off. I wake up to my phone. He wakes up to this quiet bird thing. Does it happen immediately or does he just sort of slowly come out in a happy... No, well, the, qui- the quiet bird thing, it's on his nightstand and it'll start going. It's so quiet that like there's only one bird that I can hear. It's like, nee! and I hear it and it wakes me up immediately because yeah. I wake up very easily. And he'll lay there while this terrible bird situation is happening because he can't hear it because he has the headphones in. I'm just like, for the love of God. It's a bird noise and then you just slap it. Yeah, him. I usually just wake him up and <laughs> then turn it off is what turn I do. Turn that bird off. Yeah. So I think there actually might be some bird noises in this thing because it plays nature sounds. So it plays storms and whatever else, which honestly sounds nice. 
I love anyway, it. I actually I listen to a Google 10-hour rainstorm, if you want. That's the that YouTube nice. that I use to write when I'm working here in our we open should, plan office. That actually brings up a good point. Because a lot of places, a lot of people just buy, you get the fan noises or yeah. you get an app. Because why spend 80 bucks when you can get an app? And these were so much better than the app. He just said the app doesn't go very loud. I don't know. He's tried everything. He's tried a lot of apps, <laughs> and he has had no luck. So he was blown away with how much better these were than an app. So if you think oh, you're good. spending, I think some of them are free. Right. And there's a reason. Right. So they're not very good. On the Electrofan, he thought that it had really good sound and volume choices. It had a 60-minute option, so you can sort of set it. If This doesn't really work for someone who snores throughout the night, but if you, you know, if things get quieter, you just do 60 minutes. That way you have a normal alarm clock and you're fine. Mm-hmm. But he wanted more than the sound categories, and he didn't like that there was not a spot for earbuds, so it just didn't help him with my mom. Right, he kind of needs to isolate himself from her in the same room. Right, but way. now he isolates himself. He just goes to another room. So oh. we're trying to get, <laughs> keep him isolated but close. Right. He wrote this up like a science report. Did he really? Nice That's adorable. Put a lot of time into it. Overall experiences and general conclusions by Kurt Martin. <laughs> because his experience involves snoring that can be very deep in tone and very loud. <laughs> The volume has to be set to a maximum, and so the earbuds were a necessity. And now that he's comfortable about the decibel level, mm. he's not worried about mm-hmm. going deaf, which would also solve the snoring problem. It would. It's a little drastic. It causes but, other problems, yeah. yeah. Has he tried earplugs? He has. And it, do- it doesn't? It goes through the earplugs. Really? It doesn't really, wow. doesn't really help. Also, earplugs are not comfortable to sleep in, at least for me. Maybe I inherited that. I've tried earplugs before because I live above a bus stop and also on a downhill slope that trucks use to get to one of the main thoroughfares in Brooklyn. So they all do that engine brake thing on oh, it. Yeah, yeah. And so I tried earplugs before and yeah. I feel like it just drowns out all the quieter noise. So it makes you almost laser focus in on the trucks going by. It makes it worse for And me. you're breathing. Whenever I did it, it sounds so sort of tinny and closed and you can hear your own breath. I don't you don't like, like it. it? Yeah, I didn't care for it at all. So he loved these things and basically said that if you are dealing with something very loud and constant, that you need the Sound Oasis Advanced Sleep Sound Therapy. If it's just something a little smaller, if it's just regular street noise, that sort of thing, that the Sound of Sleep Electrofan worked very well and saved you 30 bucks. Cool. So he also said that he loves my mom very much. This is important. Yes. In case you're still all worked up over that interview with Upgrade director Lee Winnell and its star Logan Michael Green... We thought we'd read you something really boring so you can relax. These are the operating instructions for a toaster oven called NBG100P from Panasonic. Thank you for purchasing a Panasonic toaster oven, NBG100P. For your own safety and convenience, please read these instructions carefully before operating. Important safeguards. When using electrical appliances, basic safety precautions should always be followed, including the following. Read all instructions. Do not touch hot surfaces. Use handles or knobs. To protect against electrical hazards, do not immerse cord, plugs, or appliance in water or other liquid. Close supervision is necessary when any appliance is used by or near children. Unplug from outlet when not in use and before cleaning. Allow to cool before putting on or taking off parts. Do not operate any appliance with a damaged cord or plug or after the appliance malfunctions or has been damaged in any manner. Return appliance to the nearest authorized service facility for examination, repair, or adjustment. The use of accessory attachments not recommended by the appliance manufacturer may cause hazards. Do not use outdoors. Do not let cord hang over the edge of table or counter or touch hot surfaces. Do not place on or near a hot gas or electric burner or in a heated oven. Use extreme care when removing oven tray and whenever disposing of hot grease and oils. To disconnect, turn all controls to off, then remove plug from wall outlet. Do not use appliance for other than intended use. Don't assume you know how to operate all parts of the toaster oven. Some features may work differently from those you are accustomed to. 
Oversized foods or utensils must not be inserted in the appliance as they may create a fire or electrical hazard. A fire may occur if appliance is covered or touching flammable materials, including curtains, draperies, walls, etc., when in operation. Do not store any item on top of the appliance when in operation. Do not clean with metal scouring pads. Pieces can break off the pad and touch electrical parts, creating a shock hazard. Before using this appliance, move it four to six inches away from the wall or any object on the countertop. Remove any object that may have been placed on top of the appliance. Do not use on surfaces where heat may cause a problem. Extreme cautions should be exercised when using containers constructed of other than metal or glass. Replace cardboard lids on food containers with aluminum foil. Cardboard lids may burn. When using aluminum foil, keep foil from touching heating elements. Do not store any materials other than manufacturer's recommended accessories in this oven when not in use. Do not place any of the following materials in the oven, paper, cardboard, plastic, etc. Do not cover crumb tray or any part of the oven with metal foil. This will cause overheating of the oven. In order to turn the appliance off, turn off the timer. Do not use water on grease fires. Smother fire or use dry chemical or foam type extinguisher. Don't put food too close to the heating elements to prevent smoking, spattering, and the possibility of fats and foods catching fire. Always make sure the toaster oven is turned off before opening the oven door. Always use a pot holder or oven mitt to install or remove oven tray or any cooking container. Save these instructions. A short cord is provided in accordance with Underwriters Laboratory's safety standards to reduce the hazards of becoming entangled or tripping over a longer cord. An extension cord may be used if this rating is equal to or greater than the rating of this appliance and if care is taken to arrange the extension cord so that it cannot be pulled or tripped over accidentally. This appliance has a polarized plug. One blade is wider than the other. To reduce the risk of electric shock, this plug is intended to fit into a polarized outlet only one way. If the plug does not fit fully into the outlet, reverse the plug. If it still does not fit, contact a qualified electrician. Do not attempt to modify the plug in any way. That's our show, y'all. The Most Useful Podcast Ever is produced by the staff of Popular Mechanics and edited by Brandcasters, Inc. at www.brandcastingu.com. We'd like to thank Sarah Bentley and Andy Bowers from Panoply and Popular Mechanics Editor-in-Chief Ryan D'Agostino. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes. While you're there, leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think. And if you want to read more about life hacks of all sorts, you should check out our website, popularmechanics.com. While you're there, you can subscribe to the print and digital edition of Popular Mechanics Magazine for just $13.99 a year. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler. Thanks for listening.